morning, church. Trust that everyone's having a great week. I love singing that last song by This We Knew Love. Uh, people ask me about uh, okay, Christmas songs, worship songs. If we really think about it, all worship songs speak of Christmas. We sing about Jesus coming to earth in many of our songs, right? We sing about him coming to redeem us. Well, what is Christmas about? We celebrate the baby Jesus coming to earth to be in a manger, but he wasn't here just to stay in a manger, amen? He was here to fulfill a lot of what we sing about. And so really, every song is Christmas. Christmas at 365 days a year. Children don't get excited. So where's she? Where's uh, Joelle? Where's Joelle? Joelle. So last week, her and her new husband were here. Stand. She's a newlywed. She's now Joelle Bateman, not Joelle Howard. So welcome, Joelle. Her husband's working. So I embarrassed them last week at the first service. So make sure we embarrass you this week on the second service. So well, it's good to see everyone. Use that are, those that are visiting, we're so glad that you're here. And hopefully uh, you enjoyed your visit here at Faith Bible Church. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. That's going to be our main text. Again, in the book of Isaiah, prophecy. We were in, that, in there last week as well. Um, talking about this week the character of Jesus, character characteristics of Jesus, of what Isaiah prophesied, who he was, and what he provides for us spiritually, yes, but also what he will provide literally in his kingdom. Today we'll be giving, giving some powerful characteristics that apply to our lives, how Jesus lives these characteristics in our lives today. But we're also going to talk a little bit about the future kingdom, and that's exciting because that is what we look forward to. Across the street from the UN building in New York City, there is an inscription, you'll see the inscription in front of you, which reads this, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Do you want to know where that comes from? Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, and what an appropriate verse to be shown right out of the front doors of the UN. Because that will never happen on this side of eternity. Can you imagine a world of peace? Think about it. Imagine a world with no war, no rumors of war, no weaponry. Mitch, you're army guy. Imagine not being trained for any weaponry because there's no use for it. Imagine a fair political system. I chuckle and laugh. Can you imagine that every decision that a leader makes is the right decision for everybody? Think about that a minute. You know, we may agree with a leader and decision. It may be good for us. It may be bad for someone else. But imagine a time where a decision that's made is good for everyone that's there. Young people, imagine that your playground is safe in a pit of snakes. The parents are like, that's bizarre. Well, I'm saying that for a reason. A lion and a lamb being together, and there's no conflict. You may, may be sitting here saying, okay, okay, this is Christmas. Why aren't we talking about baby Jesus? Well, this story doesn't stop at the manger. This story doesn't stop at the cross. This story doesn't stop at the empty tomb. This story continues. 
And there is a literal kingdom that God, well, Jesus will come and rule and reign. We call that, what is it? There you go, by the millennial kingdom. It's okay, you can speak. I, I, I asked that question. Understand, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about eschatology, the study of last things or, the t- or end times. Because Isaiah here prophesies not just of a child, not just of, a, of a, a son being given, but what's he talk about? A king. That king that will rule and reign. Acts 3 talks about the times of refreshing or the restoration of all things. And that is a future time for us that we will rule and reign with Christ. So let's read our text this morning. We're going to be reading it several times and talking about some of the phrasing and the words in there. But Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of this government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forever, forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You guys don't seem excited about that verse there. Do you know what that means for us? That this baby Jesus here we celebrate is a king over a kingdom that will be no more war. No more peace and will reign forever. That's big news. Newspapers print big news, don't they? Probably if you go down to Wawa now and you pull out the Daily Journal, you will see a big title of, I don't know what it is. Well, this particular illustration you'll see in front of you was when um, the man, the men walked on the moon. Well, the man walked on the moon. Who was alive during that time? I said, yeah, there's the illustration. Men walk on the moon. Who was alive? Man, you guys are so young. Or you remember the time when many, some of you remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated or the space shuttle, uh, uh, the Challenger that exploded. I was in middle school when that happened. The big font, the World Trade Center, there's big news. You know what that type font is called? It is called the Second Coming font. Yeah, it blew, it blew me away too. This, this particular website called fontnews.com describes the big newscast font as second coming font. And here's what it says. It's a term used in news designs for extra large, he- large headline type, usually reserved for only the most momentous occasion. And in parentheses, guess what this website says? As in the second coming of Christ. That's awesome. I love running into that and reading those things. This was big news. Man walking on the moon. But Jesus coming again to rule his kingdom. That's great news and big news. See, Daniel prophesied of this kingdom. John prophesied of this kingdom in Revelation. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 31 and 33. Angel Gabriel told Mary this at her, their first meeting. She said to be a, he said, babies, you're going to give birth to a baby, but there's more to that verse. Look at verse 31 in Luke 1. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And we stop there. There's the Christmas story. Yay! Jesus swaddling clothes. But there's more. Look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. That did not happen here at his birth. Okay. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. That is future. That's exciting news. Do we need exciting news in our world today? We do. See, this king, this Messiah, Israel was looking for this king and this Messiah to come 2,000 years ago. They thought this, their king and Messiah was going to come into the world, overthrow the Roman government, and this was going to, he was going to establish his kingdom then and there. But how did Jesus come? As a meek and lowly carpenter's son, there was no fanfare, and that's why the Jewish people were discouraged and distressed. I mean, you're not king. Kings don't come looking like you. I love Matthew 2 and the story of the wise men two years after the birth of Jesus. Yeah, I know, I know I'm messing with all the theology here, um, the major scene theology. But we believe scripture that he ca they came to visit Jesus about two years after uh, Jesus' birth. And they came to King Herod and said, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Well, that freaked King Herod out. And what did King Herod do? He set forth an edict that would murder all Jewish baby boys under the age of two. Of course, we know the story. God moved Mary and Joseph and Jesus to Egypt until Herod died. There was this king of the Jews people were talking about. Who is this king? Where is he at? Everyone was looking for a king. And that king would, that kingdom would be future. Yes, spiritually his kingdom is here. It's in all of us. Us who know Jesus Christ is our Savior represent the kingdom. But there is a literal kingdom that will, be, will rule and reign. Jesus will rule and reign that kingdom. Make sure you understand that by the time you leave here today, Pastor Jesus was talking about this literal, yes, there is a kingdom that Jesus will be in charge of. And it will be physical on this earth. That's what we believe. And that's what prophecy tells us. So let's rest and rejoice in this reality of this hope that we have. Now, let me, let me just clarify something here. So we hear this term, the second coming of Jesus. Is that the rapture of the church? Good job, church. Yes. See, the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is Jesus coming to the clouds and the trumpet being blown. You guys lift up. That wasn't the trumpet. If our blue is trumpet. That would be perfect timing. I wish I would have thought of that. That would have freaked everyone out. Is that the trumpet? We meet Jesus in the air. And we, we go and we reign with him through the tribulation period. And then what happens? Revelation 19 tells us that we, his armies, come down with Jesus where he will put his foot on the earth, where he will set up his kingdom. So that's how we, that's our, our church and our theology and what we believe, what we're looking forward to. Yes, we're looking forward for Jesus to blow that trumpet to get out of this earth, but that's not his second coming. His second coming is when he will come literally and roll around this earth. We good? We're on the same page there? All right, good. Let's move on. So this morning, we are going to talk about the characteristics of this Jesus that Isaiah prophesied about 700 years prior. To the past two weeks, we have been in Isaiah. Last week, Isaiah, 7, Isaiah chapter 7. We're talking about this, and we're just going to do a quick little rewind this morning. We are talking about Israel 
in a time of their doom and gloom under the king Ahaz. You can reference that particular story in 2 Kings chapter 16. So let me just rewind and get us up to speed here where Israel's at. Israel's divided into two kingdoms after Solomon. Jeroboam had the northern kingdom. Rehoboam had the southern kingdom. King Ahaz is king over Jerusalem, which is the southern kingdom. It tells us here in that text, it says that the nation shook. Ahaz and Jerusalem, Judah shook. They were scared of the northern Israelites, Ephraim, and Syria, they were attacking them. Their demise was set. So instead of, you would think that after hearing that news that they were going to be attacked and be killed, they turned to God. But that's not what happened. King Ahaz turned and made a pact with Assyria. Oh, that's, that's, that's good. At least they have someone to protect them. No. No. As I said last week, Assyria, making a pact with Syria is like making a pact with Boko Haram or Al-Qaeda. It's not going to end well for you, and it didn't end well for Israel. And so understand that King Ahaz was under, was under this idea that he... Are you coming back now, God? So make sure, make sure I'm not hearing things, all right? That's okay. You can go ahead. That's okay. No problem. All right, let's, let's continue on. Okay, we're all still here. The rapture didn't happen, right? Okay, good. <laughs> all right, we didn't hear a trumpet sound that one. But King Ahaz was a wicked king. It tells us in 2 Kings chapter 16 that he sacrificed his own son on the altar of the pagan gods. And after his pact with Assyria, he brought the practice of the pagan worship back to Jerusalem. This was not a good man. Israel here in, in Isaiah 7, as we talked last week, was under doom and gloom. It was under the judgment of God. And God, through Isaiah, God said, Isaiah, go and, you and your son, go and tell Ahaz, listen, don't worry about Syria. Don't worry about Ephraim. I'm going to take care of them. God even went to Ahaz and said, Ahaz, listen, send me a sign. I mean, let me give you a sign. Test me from as high as the heavens, as low as Sheol. Tell me, what do you want? What do you want? I will show you a sign. And Ahaz turned to God, right? No. Ahaz said to God, I will not test you, God. Can you imagine God talking to you? Saying, I'm here to help you. And you saying, no, I don't need it. This is where Ahaz's heart was. And so, here we are in Isaiah 7, 8, 9. God's grace was, was shown to Ahaz, yet his wrath was being brought near to his heart because of his rejection of God. You would think that a young man that was raised up in a godly family, King Jotham, who was his dad, was a godly king. You would think that he learned in his upbringing to follow Yahweh, to follow God. But he refused to follow God, and he brought this nation to their knees in the area of sin, in the area of paganism. And God's judgment was going to be upon them. As Romans 1 tells us, Ahaz and the, and the northern, and, and actually in Jerusalem, they suppressed the truth. They were living in their own life. 
They were doing their own thing against God. But we remember in Isaiah 7, Isaiah went to Jerusalem. The people Ahaz rejected. He went to the nation. He says, okay, here is the promise. Look, verse 17 from, I mean, verse uh, 14 from last week. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the midst of conflict, in the midst of disaster and despair, Isaiah said, listen, God is sending his son. Here is hope. I know, 700 years to go yet, but there was hope for the nation. As it became very, very clear, Israel rejected God's plan. However, that's not the end. Between chapters 8 and 9, in the midst of Judah's despair, what God was going to say was going to happen to them, suddenly the prophet Isaiah sees, God allows him to see this future hope for the nation. It contrasts from what they're going through. It contrasts God's judgment on them currently. But it's so beautiful and fantastic that really when we read this passage in Isaiah 9, it should choke us up and bring us to tears. And actually, we can even sing it. George Frederick Handel. I mean, I heard that name, Handel's Messiah. He was 56 years old when he wrote Handel's Messiah. Had a stroke, had financial situation, of course, um, was, was, was struggling with his health. He wanted to write. He wrote many, many famous pieces of music. I know in college, uh, Judy and I were music guy, guys and gals, and we would sing these Mozart and all the classical musicians. It's, it's not what teenagers want to sing. You know, I, give me Van Halen. Give me these groups like that as a young person to listen to. But to listen to Beethoven? No. You know, I didn't want to listen to that. I didn't want to sing these guys. But I'm glad that I did because when you listen to Handel's Messiah, it should give you chills. Do you guys listen to Handel's Messiah when the time comes? He locked himself in his room for 24 days. Food, water was brought to him. And after he was done writing this aria of Handel's Messiah, and again, just not the Hallelujah Chorus, you need to listen to it in entirety. Now, it's like an hour long, so just bear with that. But he looks at Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9, and he pulls this music in such a way that has never been written ever like that before. And after he was done writing this aria, he said, it was like I was in the very presence of God. Let's read it. For unto us a child is born. Can you sing it? You may, you, you're saying, I know this song. I know this song. You know, I, I kind of think, you know, heaven's music is going to be unlike anything we've ever heard. You know, the worship stuff we have, the old hymns of the faith, yeah, they're great songs. We grew up with them. Uh, not, not necessarily they're going to be in heaven. What do you mean my favorite? Yeah, probably not. But I'll tell you what, God may just look at Handel and say, let's do your song. I like that song. Handel's Messiah. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When you hear that song and that music style, it just puts chills. Because we who know Christ, this isn't just tradition for us. Oh, let's listen to Handel's Messiah during Christmas. A cute no, this is truth for us. This is what we are waiting for. That should excite us. So question for us and some application. Chaos. Do we live in chaos today? 
We do. Our world is a mess. And it has been. Our world in general since sin has been chaotic because we've chose, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to do things their way. And when you walk away from the things of God, it's chaos. How about for us living in the 21st century? Do we see chaos around us? Do we see wickedness around us? You're like, yeah, we do. Are you struggling with some of the events we find ourselves in today? And on the world stage, do you look around and are frustrated and wonder what God is doing? I do. You think about your life, like, man, I, I like when this used to happen. Man, what's going on? What's happening? Why is this happening? What's, and we find ourselves getting in that worry mess in our minds. Things don't make sense. Our leaders don't make sense. They actually lean more towards stupidity sometimes. Corruption all around us. Lying, cheating, the satanic rhetoric spewing out of those around us. And we look back, God, what are you doing? You read stories and hear things of things that are happening in culture. This week I, I, I read about an abortion clinic who on their Christmas tree on top for your, to replace the star, put a, put a golden... Instruments that they use to review forceps, that's the word I'm looking for, on top of their tree. That's wickedness. And we sit here and we say, God, what are you doing? Kind of reminds us of the time of Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9, what God was going, what Israel was going through, doesn't it? Wickedness all around us. But despite what was happening by Ahaz's choice, was God still in control? Did God still have a plan? And he used Isaiah to prophesy 700 years to go, in the future to say this is what the plan is. Who is this glorious rescuer? Who is this king? Who is this counselor? Some of you may be asking, maybe that are watching via Facebook, you know, who, who, who can save us from this chaos? And for us that know Jesus, smile. We know his name. His name is Jesus. And we have a future with him because of this day, because of this moment we celebrate during this season. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And there and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, young people, I want to, I'm walking you through this. Actually, everybody, but I want us to understand. Much just like the first heresy of the church, Gnosticism, there's this narrative that's in our world today. Jesus was a great man. Jesus was a great prophet. Jesus was a great teacher. But he's not God. Young people, you're going to be taught this maybe in your school. And I want you to understand what Scripture tells us here. We look at this verse. For unto us a child, circle that word child. Child represents Jesus' humanity. We believe Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Church, amen? Okay, this is, our, this is what we believe about this moment. He was human, yes. 
He was sleepy. Remember his, his, his trip with the disciples on the boat across the Sea of Galilee? He fell asleep. He slept. Okay, right? He was hungry with, with the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. He was hungry. He's had those human attributes, those human characteristics. Fatigued when he went to the, the well to meet the woman at the well. He stopped to get something to drink. He was tired. John 11, he wept when his friend Lazarus died. Remember, Gnostics believed that Jesus could not be human. He could not possess a body. That was the heresy of the, of the first century church. So young people, as people say, oh, he can't be God and man. Yes, he can. Don't ever back away from that doctrine of theology. Because if you do, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So, for once, it's a child, his humanity, a son. It represents his deity. Yes, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Well, that same story of Jesus crossing the, the, the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, they woke him up because they were scared. And what did Jesus do? He spoke to the creation he made. He said, stop, peace be still. Right? He healed many in the Gospels. I love the story in Luke chapter 9 where the paralytic man was put down through the roof. Remember that story? The healing part's amazing and the whole, the whole, the whole um, issue and how it all came about. But there's one part of the story that I love because the Pharisees, it says, were thinking in their mind. And what did Jesus do? Jesus called them out. He knew exactly what they're thinking. And he said, I love, it's like, wow, omniscience, all-knowing. He shows that he is God through these situations. I love the idea in that verse there. A son is given. People, individuals say, well, Jesus was created. Jesus was made by God. <laughs> I love it. God gave us his son. If I give, Mason, when I give you your gifts, you'll get one for Christmas maybe. When I give you your gifts, I have got to purchase it from somewhere. It existed somewhere for me to give it to you, right? Dad just didn't make a toy for you. Right? No, it existed. God gave us his son, meaning Jesus pre-existed. So this whole idea that Jesus was created, no, he has always existed. You know why? Because he's God. Young people, don't forget about it. These are truths that we need to believe and to know. And these verses, these prophecies tell us this. His child... Humanity, son, deity. Lastly, government, we're going to look at sovereignty. His sovereignty. God who came into the world, he lived in the world, he died for the world to eventually rule the world. Rule the world. I, I love this illustration where it tells in, in, in ancient times a king, this one particular king, loved going to meet with the people that he ruled over. He would take off his kingly garment and he would go into the town. Well, his leaders and his magistrate were like, what are you doing? You are a crazy guy. These people are going to kill you. You make a decision. They don't like, they're going to kidnap you and beat you. He's like, I want to know what my people are thinking. I want to know what they're struggling with. I want to be part of them. Sounds familiar. Sounds like Philippians chapter 2 with Jesus, doesn't it? He took upon him the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of man. 
He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. And we stopped it. That's a verse we put to memory. Yes, Jesus, in his incarnation, in his first advent, came to earth. This is what he came to do. He took off his kingship. He took off his, his, his being, being God. He was still God. I mean, he, 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 he came down as man. He took upon human flesh. But we stop there. Let's continue reading in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. All people at one point in this life will confess that Jesus is Lord. It may be too late for them, meaning at the end of time when they've rejected Christ, but they will know that Jesus is Lord. I don't know about you, whether it be at work or you're, 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 you're scrolling through social media, you're dealing with friends and family. You may hear people denouncing Jesus. They may be ridiculing you about your faith. They may be ridiculing you about your nativity scene. Making fun of you, maybe kids when you were in school, laughing at you when you prayed, all those things. What do we want to do? We want God's judgment to come on them, right? God, please, just like James and John did with Jesus when they were walking through Samaria, Samaria didn't let them through. And James and John said to Jesus, hey, can we just call fire down from heaven to just nuke Samaria? And Jesus is like, whoa, hold on a minute here. He rebuked them. When that happens to us, and we hear stories about that abortion clinic and, and, and what they've put on top of the Christmas tree, we, we hear these things and how people are just, 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 just making Christmas out to be this, this horrible thing about celebrating Jesus. Feel sorry for them. Pray for them. Because you know what it comes down to. Someday, whether they accept Christ or they continue to follow in the path of King Ahaz, they're going to confess Jesus as Lord. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God would calm their heart and, and soften their heart, that they would come to salvation and believe in this Jesus. Because someday they will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we don't want it to be too late, do we? We want them to come to Christ. We want them to know this Jesus so let's look at these characteristics that Isaiah has told us here in verses 6. Wonderful counselor. That word literally means that wonder of a counselor. That word wonderful means it's marvelous. It's extraordinary. Beyond human capacity. He doesn't need or want counsel from anyone else. Jesus doesn't need it. See, anyone can counsel you. But it's not always wonderful, right? Yeah. You can go to anyone for advice, but that advice may not be right. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. Been there, done that. Can you imagine a time where Jesus will rule and reign and every decision that he makes is right? But what about now? How does Jesus counsel us now? through his word we have the very words of god at access 24 7 7 days a week 365 days a year he 
can counsel us through his word. We can have that spiritually now. He is with us. His very presence is with us. Someday, literally, we are going to see Jesus' counsel. Does that excite you? That should really be something we, the hope that we are looking forward to. See, in Nazareth, people wanted to hear Jesus. I love the story in, in John 7 where uh, soldiers went to arrest Jesus and they came back empty-handed and they're like, where's he at? And, those, and, and the soldiers are like, I've never heard anyone talk like that before. Grace just spewed and just flowed out of his, his mouth. Imagine Jesus setting up a counseling office. I think he'd be pretty packed. Maybe not, though. Maybe not. <laughs> That every, all advice that he would give is right and pure and righteous. Romans 11.34 says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? No one's ever been the counselor of God. No one's ever been the counselor of Jesus, because he is all-knowing. He's omniscient. The second phrase there, mighty God, literally means he's heroic, strong God. This child is God's son, the second person of the Trinity. Omnipotent. How does God show his power today in your life? I love watching storms and tornadoes, not literally, of course, behind a screen. I'm not one of those people that follow a tornado around. We see God's power in creation. But how does God show his power in your life today? We know in the future kingdom, we are going to see God's power firsthand, like the prophets of old. How does he change? How, how does he show us the power? He changes us. See, God's power, the, the, this salvation, this whole process of the incarnation that Jesus went through was for the purpose of rescuing us from our sin. And many of you in here have a story. You were walking one way. You were a King Ahaz. Walking in the way of the world, following Satan. But God did something. What did he do? He called you to himself. He showed you the way. And you turned 180 degrees and you walked the way towards God. No man can do that in your life. Only the mighty power of God. You say, I don't see God's power. Look at your life. God changed you. That is only a divine work from God. So wonderful counselor, mighty guy. Let's look at that. Everlasting father. I love what Psalms 103 says. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This literally is translated father forever. Fatherly compassion from this king will never, ever come to end, end. For us in this room that maybe have lost a father, your father loves you up until the moment he passes from this life. And there's no more fatherly love. Why? Because he is not here. With Jesus, that is never going to be the case. It is forever. He loves us forever. What's it mean to have a father forever? Do you know that, as I shared with the first service, that Jesus died for you when you were in your sin? That's a faithful, loving father forever, isn't it? That despite what you have done, God loves you anyway, and he sent his son to die for your sin. 
faithful father forever. Do you really think about the kind of love the father has for you every day? Do we think about him being our counselor through his word? Do we think about this idea that he is a mighty God and what he has, his power has changed in our life? Do we think about the love of our everlasting forever father, that he will never turn his back on you? Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching, and you've never had that, that fatherly love. Let me tell you, you will not go wrong in turning to Jesus because he will never let you down. See, earthly relationships will let you down, but Jesus won't. Your father may have not been a great example for you. But Jesus will never let you down. His faithful forever father. And last, look at Prince of Peace. Now, in spiritually in our lives, we have Jesus. We should have peace in our life. We should live in peace with one another. It doesn't always happen, but that is, that is the goal. Literally, Prince of Peace, someday, as we mentioned in our, at the starting of our message, there will be peace on this earth like no other time in world's history. It has to do with the leader. Matthew 21 is the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a what? On a colt, a donkey. That's what a king rides on, right? No. What's a king ride on? Horse, a chariot, something that's powerful. I can remember we used to have our, our Christmas musicals here. We had the living Christmas tree here, and I stepped out into, um, well, I did some things that were different, so I would bring live animals in here. And so I remember one time, I know you guys, like Paul, you guys were in the choir. Remember we had this donkey come in, and they were, had, had a teenager that was Mary, and the donkey was like this big. It was one of them, I think they called them Shetland ponies. And, of course, it actually pulled Joseph down the aisle, all right? But that's the kind of picture I get of this, this little colt that Jesus sat on to ride in to Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That's not what Israel was looking for. But someday, see, he came as the humbled servant carpenter's son, that no one paid him any mind. But one day, look at Revelation 19, he will come as warrior king. Warrior king. And with one word, with the, it says a sword out of his mouth, he will annihilate the armies of the world and he will set up his kingdom. And he will come, what's it say in Revelation 19? On a white horse. And guess what? We're on horses, too, coming down with them. I hate riding horses, but I'm going to like that. I'm going to like that. And we're going to come down, and we are going to, we are going to see firsthand how Jesus is going to enact this kingdom. Look at verse 7 as we close. So a, a child, a son... Government is upon his shoulders, and here's about his government. In the increase of the government and the peace, there will be no end. The throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it, uphold it with justice and with righteousness from, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. No more wars. His kingdom is set up. It's going to be a transition into the new heaven and new earth. No more four-year terms. No more eight-year terms. Are you glad for that? 
Do you know the nation of Israel today? You know how many parties they have? We have Democrat, Republican, and Independent, so maybe three. But what, you know how many parties Israel has? 34. Oops, sorry, uh, Joseph. I didn't mean to kick you there. Um, can you imagine the chaos? You thought this election was a chaos. Imagine the chaos with 34 different parties. In the future, one king. His name is Jesus. He will rule and reign. I love that, that word there, increase. Can you imagine? His government will, his, 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 his kingship will expand. It will grow in abundance. It will keep getting better and better and better. I can't even fathom that in my mind. You, you think of a time in our country where things were great. You're like, wow, yeah, this is great. But you know, there were things that happened and, you, and they came, you know, came back down and went back. In God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, it keeps increasing, getting better and better and better. Can you fathom that? I can't. But if you know Jesus, you'll be there with him. We will experience that. You know what's another good thing? Satan won't be there. Hallelujah. That's right, Carol. Hallelujah. Isn't he a pain? Revelation 12, 20 says that he is placed in the pit or the abyss where he was created to be. That's his holding cell until, of course, after the millennial kingdom. And then he's put right back into the great, great, great fire. The great, uh, the great white throne, not the great white throne judgment, the great fire. All right, that's where he ends up. Aren't you glad that Satan will be no longer around during the millennial kingdom? There's a story of an illustration that was given that there was a surgeon, an engineer, and a politician. They're discussing their jobs were the first shown in the Bible. Which one of our jobs was first mentioned in the Bible? Well, the surgeon said it was mine. It says in Genesis that God carved the rib out of Adam. The engineer said, no, 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 no. Mine was the first. In Genesis chapter 1, it says God made or created things out of chaos. Well, the politician says, well, you got them all wrong. Who do you think created the chaos? Get it? Okay, all right. That wasn't so good. But one day, we won't have to worry about any of that. Because Jesus will be king. You see, we come to the Christmas Story. We, we, we tend to stop. It's great. We think about the incarnation. Yes. And I want us to think. We sing songs and worship past Christmas. We understand it talks about Jesus' life. What he come to do in the cross and his resurrection. I want us to focus on his kingship. And the kingdom that he will literally rule here on earth. And we will be part of. Listen to this. Jesus came as our rescuer, as our redeemer. He is our counselor even today. He is our prince of peace. He gives us peace through his spirit in our life. He is our mighty God for what he has done in our life through salvation. And maybe you're here today. We would love to introduce you to that Jesus who gives you that peace. That, and the hope that all of us in here have. That someday when we pass from this life, we are going to be in God's presence. And we look forward with ruling and reigning with Jesus someday. That's what this Christmas story is about for us. Jesus coming to take upon the Son of Man. To redeem us. To bring us back into relationship with God. To rule and reign with Him forever. And His kingdom has no end. America will end. It will. But God's kingdom will never end. 
And I'm glad I'm part of God's kingdom. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done. Lord, may we just rest in this hope, Lord, in a world that... We struggle with the things that are going on around us. But, Lord, you have already been here. You know what is happening. You've already, you have a plan. And as the prophet Isaiah looked beyond today and said, hey, there is this kingdom that Jesus is going to be king over. So thank you, Father, for this hope. As you gave hope to the nation of Israel in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, Lord, you give us that same hope in the 21st century. Let's not be discouraged or dismayed, but Father, allow us to be encouraged that this world is not our home. As that old hymn of the face says, we're just passing through. And so help us to live with hope in mind. Let's live with the kingdom in mind that someday we will be with you forever and ever, and it will never end. We ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Stand up, we're going to sing the first verse in the chorus. By this we know love. God of all creation. God of all creation. Lord of heaven's light. Descended into evil's darkest night. Infinitely holy. Your perfections know no end. Selflessly died my rightful. Thank you.